with so many podcasts out there, shows can get lost in the shuffle. That's why we implore you to check out Too Many Captains. You can find us at a moviepodcast.com. Five unique takes on Hollywood movies and culture. Find us on Twitter at It's a Film Podcast. Check our intellectual deep dives into theatrical films. Find us on Instagram at Too Many Captains Productions. Unique takes on soundtracks. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash too many captains productions. Find us at a moviepodcast.com on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. And now, here comes a new episode of Collateral Cinema. I'm Bo Maddox. I'm Robert Ortegon. And I'm Ashley Chancellor. And this is Collateral Cinema. Welcome to Collateral Cinema, the only movie podcast that matters, where we focus on good movies, bad movies, and everything else in between in the world of cinema. We are podcasting straight from somewhere in South Texas, and yes, my friends, we are a 420-friendly podcast. So whatever you have, be it bongs, blunts, joints, or dabs, smoke it if you've got it, my friends. Smoke it if you've got it. What's up, guys? It's our season finale of Collateral Cinema Season 3. How are you feeling about that, Bo, Robert? Oh, man, it's great to be at the end of this season, finally. It's been such a weird season so far. I mean, so much has changed since we began with Suicide Squad, and it's really hard to describe. I mean... Probably one of the longest seasons we've ever had, right? Oh, man, it's such a long season. Uh, like, let me tell you, it's, it's, it, it feels like it was ages ago. It was in another world that we started <laughs> the season, right? Season three. Damn. We're still in season three. I know three? what you mean. <laughs> I know. Right? I know what you mean. But at the same time, it feels like we were just doing season two not too long ago. Time is weird like that. Yeah. But you guys are right. I mean, it has been one of our longest seasons uh, and definitely it's been one of the oddest. I mean, coronavirus hit, you know, the whole COVID-19 pandemic and that affected even the way that we record, you know, even now with us uh, social distancing and, you know, video conferencing this over Skype. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess I've kind of gotten the hang of it a little bit, but I mean, I would prefer to be for all of us to be in a studio, but you know, we got to do what we got to do to be safe. So, you know, it's the responsibility to each other, to all of you. And it's a responsibility to provide content for everyone. Right. Cause exactly. uh, if you're quarantining, if you're, if you're staying at home, I mean, Likely you're um you've gotta have something to do, something to listen to. So here you go. Exactly. And, and we're we're having fun. We're watching movies, we're playing video games and we're chilling. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. I mean, we've done a lot of really interesting movies so far. Even a couple of movies that were released in the theaters, like Rise of Skywalker and also uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. And before the season yeah. began, we did it chapter two, which was 
at that point, a pretty new release, right? Yeah, that was. And we had a lot of fun with that. That was a collab with Collateral Gaming being a, a video game adaptation of a movie on uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. But It Chapter 2 was also a lot of fun. You know, whether we liked it or didn't, I think um, catching that right around the release time and talking about it as a preseason bonus was a lot of fun. And I think that we will do that before we start the next season as well. I would imagine we'll do another bonus episode of some kind. Let's recap. Of some kind. Yeah, let's recap. Yeah, we got to recap something. On our greatest moments. A recap. <laughs> yeah, a redux, if you will. There you go. Yeah. Kind of. I think, I think definitely kinda, that's, that's on the books. Kind of define collateral cinema for what it is, you know? More or less, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But uh, today we've got something very special and near and dear to our hearts. Uh, anybody that knows Collateral Cinemas and, and has been listening to us for a while is aware of our love for The Room and uh, Tommy Wiseau, the whole fandom slash subculture. Uh, we've talked about The Room. We've talked about The Disaster Artist. Uh, and today we're going to talk about Greg Sesteros and uh, Tommy Wiseau's newest venture, their reunion after 15 years uh, Best Friends, Volume 1 and Volume 2. But uh, I guess, you know, it wouldn't be a Collateral Cinema podcast on this kind of a movie without discussing, you know, once again, just what we really love about this whole fandom. Oh, man. I mean, I love the camaraderie in the community, especially online. I mean, we haven't ever really been to a screening so far. I don't know what the status of that's going to be, you know, post-COVID. But, I mean, you, you can tell that fans of the room, I mean, they know what it is. They know what Tommy is all about and what Greg is all about. And, I mean, there's a lot of passion there. And I really, really love and respect that. Yeah, there's no lukewarm fans. I mean, people who love the room love it for just everything that it is. And, and it means a lot to us. It was one of our early episodes or y'all when before I jumped on the podcast. I mean, it was. You, Bo, and Robert, y'all did the the room episode, which I was almost on. I was there. <laughs> yeah, but, but I remember a mishap happening with your brother, and you kind of had to be there. Dakota hit his head on a ceiling fan or something, and I had to go home. But we yeah. did uh, the room movie commentary together, and that was my entry into the podcast. That was the first uh, episode that I ever was on, even though it wasn't a you know like an actual episode. Uh, and that movie commentary is available to our Patreon subscribers, and it's an exclusive patron item. So go check that out if you haven't already. It's my, it's my debut, and we all had a lot of fun just talking about the room, right? Oh, certainly. I mean, th there's so much to talk about. I mean, <laughs> I, I remember just having a blast doing that one. <laughs> and, and we all just came to understand that if everyone loved each other, then the world would be a better place to live. <laughs> what a story, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we also talked about the disaster artist. Dakota and I were both on that episode. And um, at some point I want to do a movie commentary on that as well. But we, we had a blast doing that one too, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a really uh, decent telling of what happened behind the scenes. I've heard some people say, you know, now that there's a few years of retrospection behind us that, you know, maybe it's not the best adaptation of the book, The Disaster Artist, but... Really? I've heard that. I'd like to listen yeah. to the audiobook. 
And, but I mean, yeah, there's a lot of elements of uh, Tommy and Greg's story that had some darker undertones to it. And that's kind of what comes forward in this movie a little bit. You know, it, it feels it like that that's does. kind of it's kind of more of a focus here. Yeah. And even having not read the book and only seen the movie, I mean, James Franco and Dave Franco's portrayal of Tommy Wiseau and Greg Sestro was enough for me to kind of get a, a glimpse of what their friendship is like and to see those parallels in this movie, which, you know, my headcanon is, is this is kind of, you know, an allegory for Tommy Wiseau's and Greg Sestero's friendship. Although specifically they did admit that it was inspired by a road trip, right? Yeah, a road trip that is actually portrayed in The Disaster Artist, if you recall. I believe it was the one where they went to see the crash site where James Dean passed away. That's correct. Yeah. You're tearing me apart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they even include that scene in The Disaster Artist where he actually sees uh, that movie. Rebel thought it caused. Yeah. But yeah, no, that uh, that road trip was particularly memorable. And it definitely came to mind when I saw the pair of them, or at least, you know, in character as Harvey Lewis and John Cortina. Uh, what I did hear, uh, and I saw this on IMDb, I don't know exactly if it's 100% true, but supposedly Tommy felt that the uh, entire road trip was a ploy for Greg to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What the hell? That's, that's a <laughs> I, new idea. Nice. Yeah, right? I mean, at what point does Tommy, you know, actually allow Greg into his world here, you know? I mean, that that's such a pivotal moment in the disaster artist and in their friendship that, you know, makes you wonder what Tommy was actually so afraid of. This my world, this my planet. This my planet. Welcome to my paradise. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, you're right. It really is an interesting moment and we all know that tommy is kind of a paranoid person so i can definitely see that i mean he's definitely very secretive about his past about his nationality even yeah and his age i would say that as far as him being you know like socially or whatever i've he seems like he's really warmed up a lot he's probably not nearly as standoffish with people as he used to be. I mean, but then again, I don't know. There's some moments in this movie where it looks like he just goes completely off script and everybody <laughs> is just like, what the fuck is this guy doing? <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, I don't about know. It's the yeah. actor studio free speech, free acting. Right on. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's special about this movie is that unlike The Room, I mean, this is a serious movie and it comes across as serious. We've always said that, you know, if Tommy were just acting, you know, along to a script by that was written by someone else or if he was directed by someone else. You know, there might actually be something interesting or something of value for him as an actor. And that's exactly what happened here. I mean, this entire movie showcases uh, Tommy just being properly utilized as an actor. I mean, the writer of this movie and then producer is Greg Sestero himself. So, you know, knowing how to play his his friend to his strengths really comes through. And but with Tommy playing what is essentially a character that's as eccentric as himself, it comes across as a much more genuine performance, um, not falling too much into self-parody, but just, I mean, he's just kind of there. And, and you guys are right. I mean, I think there's definitely a lot of improv going there and everybody kind of just rolls with it. 
Well, let's be real here. There is some self-parody there, especially near the end of Volume 1. I mean, come on now. <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit. But while this movie was written and produced by Greg Sestero, it was actually directed by Justin McGregor, uh, who was a friend of Sestero. He originally saw The Room at 16 and, by coincidence, met Greg at the Rio Theater in Vancouver, which is where Greg and James Franco met when they agreed to make the Disaster Artist film. That's interesting that there's that little parallel, you know, between Greg and Jeff like that. I mean, it, yeah. it, it's almost like when Tommy and Greg met, you know, the, I mean, Tommy was the older person that's a little more well connected. And, you know, Greg was the young kid just kind of going along uh, on the ride, you know, there's not much in the way of any kind of filmography. I couldn't really find a Wikipedia page or anything about Justin McGregor, but I did find that snippet of information and I thought it was interesting. I mean, we get the sense that um, he is a fan of the room, you know, having seen it as a teenager and definitely this film is a love letter to the fans in a sense. There's a lot of little references and Easter eggs and, and even quotes throughout the movie. And I think the entire premise kind of relies on the whole, Hey, this is Greg Sestero and Tommy Wiseau. And definitely their chemistry is what drives the movie forward. Yeah. I mean, there's some people out there that would say that the actual novelty of seeing them together again, kind of wears off after a while, but I, I don't really see that here. I mean, especially in volume two where you don't really see Tommy's character all that much, you know, it doesn't really seem to, to drag that much. No, I agree. I mean, the, the film I think is, is good enough on its own uh, to kind of um, to, to, at least to keep my interest. Uh, and I've gone and I've seen both films a couple times now, but this was Wiseau's and Sestero's first project together since The Room in 2003. Uh, it was after watching an early cut of The Disaster Artist that Greg had kind of sympathized with his friend and decided to write this script for this movie just to make Tommy happy. Yeah, that's a real bro move on him, right? Oh, yeah, nice. it really is. I mean, and the script itself was written over the course of a few weeks. Uh, apparently, it was only 100 pages long. And when production started, I mean, this was initially shot as a single film. But, of course, after having filmed it, you know, during production, there was the decision to split it into two volumes um, due to how much material was shot. I mean, that's what a lot of filmmakers do in the end. But, I mean, that really makes me wonder what was left on the cutting room floor there, you know? As like, what was it seen? What are the deleted scenes to this movie? <laughs> I mean, I mean that, that's what I'd like to know. I think that the whole idea was that they didn't delete anything. They just, they just kept everything, right? <laughs> I'm sure that there's some scenes that they probably couldn't really keep in there for like, you know, for like continuity flow or whatever, or what, or some other such reason. But it would be interesting to see what didn't make it into the movie. Because, I mean, th there has to be at least a small percentage of the edited content that's, you know, just mm. cutting room floor stuff. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. I think that, I mean, there, there probably has got to be some things that are left in. And for what it's worth, and I, I like these films, I'll, I'll put that out there, but I'm not sure if the length was necessary for it. 
I mean, whenever we hear that there was just so much material that they decided that they had to make two films out of it, it doesn't seem like it's, you know, was necessary that everything that was shot was just absolutely important or significant to be in there. I mean, this definitely could have been cut at the same time. I'm never one to complain about a long movie if it's a good movie. And and this movie definitely never lost my interest. So, I mean, I'll binge watch a TV show. So, you know, watching this two part, I mean, overall, what, like three and a half hours wasn't really a big deal. And if you have to, you can split it up into the two chunks that are provided. Yeah, that's pretty much what Robert and I did, right? Yeah, bought one copy, volume one from Amazon Prime and rented the other one from YouTube. Yeah, um, and I think that the YouTube version ran a little more smoothly than the Prime one, right? Yeah, because every time we get a text, dude, like, it would just short out, you know? Yeah, it was fucking ridiculous, but it, it was great to see those movies, even though we totally watched it on a phone. We still got it, though. <laughs> yeah, we still have them. That, 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 like, seriously, this episode really fought us quite a bit for some reason. That's, that's why it took us so long to do this. I mean, for fuck's yeah, sake. really. We were fought every step of the way, but... I'm glad that we did get through it. I would definitely have these films on, on DVD um, or, or have like a digital copy, you know, that I, I've legally purchased because, I mean, I think these are worth keeping. I think we want to put them on the shelf with the room, with the disaster artist. Yeah. I mean, it pretty much makes up a trilogy of Wiseau and Sestero movies. If you count the the room and the disaster artist. Yeah, that's kind of how I approach those movies. I mean, I mean, we've done uh, Tommy Wiseau related movie every season of the podcast so far and we're kind of running out of things to do. I mean, we thought big shark was happening, but apparently it's not. Yeah. That's a damn shame, man. That would have been amazing <laughs> because it is my major contention is that Tommy Wiseau and Greg Sestero need to make a fucking horror movie. Like seriously, be great. they need I to make a horror movie. I mean, it's pretty much a no brainer. I mean, horror movies are typically very cheap to produce and to film and everything. Like, I mean, they could go as crazy with the script as they want, and they can actually see a real return, and it could lead to them making more movies, making stuff like Best Friends. I, I think that this movie kind of, in a sense, um, was trying to accomplish that purpose, but I, I definitely could see a horror film being made. I think that's brilliant. Uh, I kind of imagine Tommy as this just misunderstood character. He's the guy that's like the, the creepy guy that you think is the villain, but he's really not. It's a red herring. And then by the end of the movie, I mean, he really is a nice guy that tries to help the uh, the others, but, you know, maybe probably gets killed off. Yeah. <laughs> Robert, what uh, what characters would uh, would Tommy fit in within the canon of horror? Like, what part would he play? Pretty much the Ralph character, you know, from uh, Friday the Thirteenth. Oh, there you go. Yeah, Crazy Ralph. Man, you're doomed. You're all doomed. Could could you imagine Tommy doing that? Yes. Oh my God. Like, Y'all doomed. <laughs> you're all doomed. <laughs> I mean. I mean that's all you have to do with Tommy is just kind of let him go. Let him be himself. You know, if he goes off script, if he flubs a line, something that I think does happen at one point in the movie, he, you just kind of roll with it. You let it go and, and he's himself. And yeah, sometimes it comes off a little odd, like in the, the cliff scene at the end of uh, volume one, but throughout most of the movie, I mean, he definitely feels like, again, it's a genuine performance. I feel like we're seeing a character who's just as much of a weirdo makes was so seem like a better actor. <laughs> and he is, I mean, he's a treasure 
all in his own right. Uh, he just needed the right direction and writing to be, you know, fully realized. Man, it would be incredible to see Tommy Wiseau in a short film by like David Lynch. Like that would be amazing. <laughs> he he would be a, a, a shoe in for oh, David Lynch's man. universe. He is David Lynch's guy. No, yeah, he should be one of his characters. He should. I mean, he almost seems like a character from like Twin Peaks or some it's shit. Like a modern eraser head <laughs> thing going, dude. <gasps> like a reverse eraser head you guys, or something like that. Reverse eraser head. Didn't you guys say that this movie kind of had some Lynchian vibes? I mean, it, there's definitely a, a surreal quality to the it, plot. In the beginning of volume one, where uh, Sistera wakes up and he's homeless, right? Yeah, there's a little bit of a parallel there with Jack Nance, but yeah, with the Racerhead. Yeah. I would say that Volume Two has more Lynchian dreamlike qualities to it, because you have to remember Lynch's filmography is mostly it, it's a trip through this weird dream world, just a constant dream world that's just kind of a continuum throughout all of his movies. And, I mean, I feel like in Volume 2, a lot of those dream sequences that uh, Sestero's character has kind of fits that. It's especially with Tommy just going crazy, dressed up like Greg, and just yelling at him, saying, bad man! (laughs) No, no, he was like, evil man! It is mostly dream (laughs) dream sequence, sorry. Yeah, remind me of Nicholas' reference from uh, Only God Forgives and Drive. Yeah, it's it's like a uh, few neon lights away from that, right? Yeah. A few red red tones in the background and whatever. Especially only God forgives because it's like random things happening. It's like the sword comes out of nowhere. Or you, you think that uh, Gosling's character in Only God Forgives may have influenced Sestero's character here a little bit? Yeah, I think Sestero's kind of going for a Gosling-like thing. You know, I can see where, that. Where he's quiet and really doesn't have to say too much, you know, but still lead in mostly just expressing, you know, facial emotions. Yeah. And then that's a lot of acting right there. Yeah. And, and Sestero actually kind of excels at that here. I mean, there's some moments where he can be a little, you know, wooden, but it's very few and far between in this movie, I feel. Yeah. He plays a much quieter role in this one, doesn't he? And I think that it actually kind of works to his benefit. He comes across uh, with a much better performance here than in the room, just with, you know, uh, a different script and and playing a a less talkative, kind of mysterious character. But, you know, when when we discuss differences from this and the room, I mean, tonally, it's, it's very different. I mean, here we have what is an actual, like, intentional black comedy um, and also has a, you know, like a thriller element to it as well. Yeah, the thriller element is very pronounced here, especially in the second movie. You know, when whenever we start getting to like Uncle Rick, which is, can, can we just... Fuck yeah, Uncle Rick! Yeah, can we have a total ap- moment of appreciation for... The, the actor's name is Rick Edwards, I believe, right? Or Rick Edwardson or something Rick, like that? Rick Edwards. And he plays Rick Stanton. Uh, and... I mean, this guy is just the antithesis to Tommy Wiseau. He's like a more like charismatic version that, you know, he's just done everything, but he's also kind of, you know, he's, he's, he's just charming and, and he's just fucking awesome and you love him. And he just says the most weirdest things. He's that totally a foil to Tommy's character in every way. Uh, and and I, I just love him. I, I, I think that every, every movie needs to have fucking 
Rick Edwards in it. Yeah, they, they need to feature this guy a lot more. And, and like I said, if we want to go back to the aforementioned need for Tommy and Greg to make a horror movie, Rick would be a shoe-in for that movie in, in some way. Like, he, he could totally be the fucking actual villain in that movie. Or a deputy sheriff or, or a sheriff. Yeah, yeah, or an authority figure. Hard-ass sheriff. Yeah. Right? It's my town. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I I agree. I agree. Yeah, I mean, what did you guys think overall about? I mean, let, let's let's talk more about Volume One. Yeah, what were your thoughts on that, Robert? My thoughts on Volume One was a lot more like Breaking Bad, really, with the with the gold selling of the teeth. You know, I mean, the the fencing, all that. You know, it reminded me of okay. Brian Cranston, Aaron Paul. You know, yeah, Brian Cranston and, does show up in the Disaster Artist. That was fun. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's funny yeah, about that, right? And uh. The spinoff to that, El Camino, the movie, uh, go see that if you can. Certainly. You will like it. And I don't know, volume one, you know, a little bit different too. Yeah, it seems like volume one, I mean, it, it's really meant to kind of establish the friendship between Harvey and John. That's really what it yeah. is. It's really meant to establish that friendship and then build up to that betrayal at the end. Like the yeah. disasters, like the building of the friendship. In the beginning. Yeah. yeah. Whereas in volume two, like Tommy is more of like a force of nature in that particular movie. He's he's always in the background and he's visiting Johnny or Johnny. He's visiting John in dreams and everything. Yeah, that's definitely where volume two is a lot more surreal. But I, I did appreciate that there are these overarching themes of betrayal and friendship throughout both films. Uh, I like how volume one ends at this cliffhanger, you know, or I mean, I guess it's actually a, a cliff faller. It, it, it's a literal cliffhanger oh. if you really think about it. <laughs> <laughs> but part, um, part it, it kind of had two. this abstract preview of volume two. And that's where it was actually, I believe it was revealed for the first time when the movie was screened at the uh, at the Egyptian theater that it was there was a volume one and a volume two. It's right at the end after that kind of that that abstract preview. You see volume one uh, kind of has vibes of how it did that uh, with it. Chapter one at the very end, revealing that there would be a chapter two. Man, I really, really would like to know how people actually reacted to that first screening and then realizing like, holy fuck, there's a second movie? Yeah. Like, there's, some, I'm sure there were some people that were just like that. They were just like, oh, fuck, there's a second part of this? <laughs> and I'm I sure there was some people was like, yeah, yeah, part two, Job, fuck yeah. friendship, advice, and you give me nothing. Ah! Ah! <laughs> but yeah, no, volume one ended off, you know, in, in a very interesting way. It leads right into volume two. I gotta say, I think Volume Two is my favorite out of out of the bunch, out of the two movies. Uh, I definitely think you know it has a more surreal quality to it. I like the non-linear nature of the storyline with those constant flash forwards and the dream sequences. Because Volume One ends and Tommy's dead, and you're like, what the fuck? What, what's Tommy gonna or Tommy's character Harvey? I mean, at this point, are there is there, there really any distinction? It's, it really becomes a lot more disjointed in Volume 2 when you really compare yeah. it to Volume 1. Volume 1 seems to have more of a linear story to it. It seems to really have a point A and a point B, and that point B is announcing Volume 2. And, and But that's I, how 
volume two introduces or has Tommy featured in it, despite him, you know, we us believing him to be dead at the time, we have these flash forwards and we have these dream sequences where that are peppered throughout the movie and then culminating in his, you know, return as a shining knight in armor, I guess. Yeah, he he becomes a hero, not villain. <laughs> I'm a hero. I am I, hero. I'm not villain, I'm hero, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah, man. But I did like a lot of the, um, again, a lot of the the references to the rune throughout. I mean, we've got the uh, throwing the basketball back and forth. We've got the football in there. We've got, I think, actual like DVD copies of the room in the movie, if I'm not mistaken. I never even noticed that. I didn't either, but I saw it on the Internet, so it must be true, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. I really like that basketball scene, actually, because there's a lot of drone shots kind of going away and towards them playing basketball that's really artistic. It's some decent cinematography there. And, I mean, I guess Tommy and Greg can kind of play, right? <laughs> yeah, they can. Yeah, they can play. I just want to see more movies from them, really, because we know they can make a movie, you know? And- and next time they need to play catch with a baseball and baseball gloves. That that needs to be the next there level. Yeah. Up. Straight up. This is what Americans do, huh? They play football. They play basketball. They play baseball, Greg. Baseball American pastime. This is what humans do. <laughs> do, do, it's like an alien do you like robot. that movement? That moment in the movie where uh, John's girlfriend asks uh, Tracy played by uh, uh, Kristen Stephenson Pino, where she asks him, you know, where are you from? And he goes, Planet Earth. (laughs) Are you really from from Planet Earth? It it couldn't be more obvious, honestly. (laughs) I I, I think that he probably kind of let the mask slip there a little bit. (laughs) Definitely, definitely. Like like the end of that um, The Room uh, Flash game that we did uh, collab on as our holiday special, Collateral Gaming. Oh, yeah. Listen to that one, everybody. <laughs> but I, I also liked the unexpected. I mean, it, it, to me, it was unexpected because I, you know, I saw John portraying Harvey throughout the movie and I didn't expect him to have a good ending. I mean, there is kind of that sinister twist cliffhanger at the end, but the volume two, but but it unexpectedly ends up well. I mean, he's kind of um, the characters oddly redeemed at the end, despite having betrayed his friend. And I think that's an interesting facet of Greg Sestero's character. Well, The way that I see that, if you take the movie as an allegory for Tommy and Greg's relationship throughout the rise of the popularity of The Room and the disaster artist and all of that, it's like that's kind of like the final little bit of success that they share with each other there. Trust me, friendship before money. Can you say that? Yeah. What? Trust me, friendship before money. Right. have a good story for you a familiar story one guy meet another in a big city they have dream but something change greed hatred and jealousy you understand the words
I mean, I don't know if it's entirely autobiographical, if that's what Tommy did for Greg or not, but I mean, I, I think that's what it's symbolic of. It's symbolic of them finally kind of getting that success and that vindication with the room, especially with the release of the disaster artist. That's what I think as well. I mean, I definitely saw parallels with their relationship in real life. And that's why Greg Sestero and Tommy Wiseau as John and as Harvey just just kind of play themselves that way. In that way, the roles are kind of indistinguishable. It's at some point, you know, you might say Greg and mean John or you might say John and mean Greg <laughs> because oh, no. uh, they're, they're, they're in chemistry on screen is like their chemistry off yeah but um i again i did think his acting was a lot better as compared to the room with him being quiet throughout most of it uh, and then just just centerfold his chemistry with tommy's character um is is kind of the centerfold of the film i think the centerpiece you mean centerpiece <laughs> well you know what maybe maybe i want Tommy was so as a centerfold. Well, okay, there you go. Yeah, that's an interesting thought, I think. <laughs> I guess. Right, Robert? Uh, mm-hmm. Interesting. What did you guys think about Tommy's character, Harvey Lewis? Oh, man, it's such a weird kind of, what's the word, idiosyncratic role, you know? <laughs> I mean, there's so many layers to it, I think. I mean, but even so, it still just has that signature delivery that Tommy has. I mean, it's pure Tommy Wiseau, like, cranked up to 11. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's still himself the whole time. Totally. Damn. Exactly. I mean, like, yeah, like just like you said, Robert, he is himself, and that's why this movie shines. Greg knows exactly how to write Tommy as an actor he knows how to how to play to his strengths he knows when to allow improvisation to take over and to just kind of let him be himself um again like i said because he's such a strange character tommy's eccentricity doesn't really uh well it does stand out but it doesn't come across as disingenuine <laughs> oh yeah I mean, and, and that is more of a testament to greg's writing i believe you know i mean because he really knows how to distill Tommy's personality and Tommy's uh, overall acting abilities into a role that actually makes sense. Right. And that's not to say that, you know, we're not hating on the room. The room is great for entirely different reasons that a movie should, is usually good for. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Does yeah, it need good writing course. or good direction? It, it just needs to be itself. Uh, and, so in that same way, Tommy doesn't need to be a good actor. He just needs to be himself and he can be properly utilized in that sense. <laughs> there you go. Just set him free. Set him free. Let just him free. let him. Yeah. We don't need Hollywood. Just let him do what he's going to do. By the way, Robert thinks that this movie is like a straight up masterpiece. Masterpiece. I might be inclined to agree somewhat. <laughs> Because, no, The Room is a masterpiece. Good. The Room is a masterpiece. And and this is pretty fucking good. I mean, it kind of has... Another masterpiece. It, okay. it kind of has kind of this indie vibe to it. I mean, we've got the, the, the writer and producer, also, you know, the starring actor, right? I mean, do you guys see what I'm saying? Maybe maybe with a, a better of course it's production an indie movie. quality. Of course it's an indie movie, bro. It has a small budget. <laughs> Still probably banked a shitload, right? I, I don't know how much money they made off of this. I just know that it's out there and the world is better off for it. The exactly. world is better off for it. I, I yeah. think this movie very much is primarily appealing to fans of the realm, I will say. I don't know, you know, if other people are really going to get as much out of it. 
because a lot of the movie does rely on that whole, hey, it's Greg and Tommy, and it relies on their chemistry and having understood, I think, their backgrounds and having an understanding of their relationship as depicted in The Disaster Artist definitely helps as well. And then just kind of like all those little those little references. But as a standalone movie, it's still interesting. Oh, all the way. I mean, especially if you watch both movies uh, in one sitting. I mean, you will you will get something from watching this if you are a fan of the room or maybe you like the Tommy was show or something like that. I mean, or you just like bad movies in general. I mean, and, and you're a fan of the room. Not not saying that this movie is necessarily bad. I mean, it's just very, very, very interesting and awesome in a weird way, you know? But yeah, I mean, it's a genuinely good movie. I will say that. Um, and and the cast, uh, I think, uh, really adds to that. You know, we've got good writing, but we've also got, I think, good performances in the movie overall. I mean, even we can, uh, Paul Shear makes an appearance as Malmo. And I think we've mentioned this on the show before, but he actually had Greg as a guest on the How Did This Get Made podcast. Yeah, and it was for the disaster artist. It was specifically to uh, to market the movie. And, and, and you know, Paul Shear, he plays the director of photography for The Room in The, in the Disaster Artist. And honestly, he's, he's perfect in it, I think. And, and in this movie, it, it's really, really good to see him show up, especially seeing a, a fellow podcaster. I mean, I know that before he was a podcaster, he was doing like NTSF SUV on Adult Swim. Great show, by the way. Like, I highly recommend it. But yeah, I mean, see, seeing him there and, and, and in the uh, and also in the Disaster Artist, uh, Jason Manzukis, and I think uh, June Diane Raphael is also there. I mean, it, it's good to see them getting roles and you know being successful with their podcast and everything. So, hey, kudos to y'all guys. That can know. be us. Well, when it Robert could. finishes his short films, we'll, we'll be we'll be movie stars. We'll be movie stars, Greg. We'll be movie, we'll be movie stars, Greg. Oh, we got plenty of short films to make too. So yeah, hopefully Definitely. we can get to it. Hopefully, hopefully. Also, speaking of the starring cast and their characters, did anyone see kind of an analog uh, with Tracy to Lisa in the room as like the the woman who betrays? Yeah, very much so, especially kind of in the way that she runs her mouth a little bit, you know, to Greg. Oh, man, that plot at the end of it was like one of the plots from Reindeer Games, right? Yeah. You, you remember that, dude? Yeah, it kind of feels like it. It's, like, <laughs> it's been a while, it's been a while since I've seen Reindeer Games, but it's pretty much Greg, Greg Sestero's character time. is Ben Affleck's character, right? Reindeer Games. And then you got what's the uncle's name? Oh, shit. I'm not sure. Like I said, it's been ages uncle since Rick? I've seen Reindeer Games. So. Yeah. Gary Sinise's character Games. is the uncle, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's exactly like Reindeer Games, dude. Just that twist in the plot, you know, where, I don't know, was he really his nephew or what was it? Yeah, ne nephew or son or something. Niece. Or, or niece. Yeah, is that yeah. really your niece? Yeah, what the hell? <laughs> well, I don't think that Tracy and Rick were actually uncle and niece because it, it is revealed that they're in a romantic relationship which yeah. still comes across as really odd but Same. at least it's not some games of Thrones shit right there <laughs> yeah all they, the way man they just end up that taking somebody for all their money at the end right in the end yeah in the end it's all about money bro. but they, they still lose though I yeah. mean Rick gets shot by Tommy who's the white knight in shining armor but isn't that the message 
friendship before money, John. Friendship before money, John. Before women, but you know, essentially, bros before hoes. That's that's the moral. It pretty much is when you really distill it down to its base elements. You could argue that that's also kind of one of the messages of the room, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, because he's just betraying. Everyone betray me. I don't have a friend in the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. I like their skit on YouTube from like The Dark Knight, right? Oh, yeah. Tommy playing Tommy the, Joker the Joker and uh, Greg Sestero as Batman. Batman. Oh, that interrogation scene is freaking hilarious, dude. Tommy needs to be the Joker. I mean, it, it needs to happen. I think that's another role that he could just be completely actually good in. Because, I, I mean, the Joker is just such an odd, you know, off character that I could totally see Tommy in the role. Like, just be like genuinely. <laughs> it would be amazing, right? Well, let, let Todd Phillips uh, work with him. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, what did you guys think, you know, overall about the cinematography, the execution? I'm not going to act like the camera that they use was the best ever. I mean, you can kind of tell just looking at it, but they really utilized what they had and got some really interesting, artful shots. Like, like I, I especially like the shot where uh, Greg and Tommy are standing outside of uh, his morgue or whatever, and the camera is constantly moving where, like, the fence feels like it's... Uh, and, and the background is moving around the characters a little bit, and, well, and they almost seem like they're kind of centered. Like, I, I thought that that was really cool. What did you think, Robert, about, like, you know, the camera work or the, the cinematography? Oh, I thought it was amazing, especially with the drone shots in, like, the desert, you know? Arizona oh. desert. Yeah, those were dirty, man. That, those were amazing. I mean, man, those drones got like four cameras on it, don't they? Something like that. And you can just control it with your iPhone pretty much. I would like to say maybe they were utilizing something a bit pricier than that, but... Yeah, see, it's like a controller, but you plug your iPhone into it. Like, like I said, I mean, they obviously didn't use a really expensive camera here, but I mean, yeah, I mean, they utilized uh, what they had and they... They made it look really, really good. There's there's some scenes where, you know, it's not the best, but, you know, it, it still cuts through and it still looks pretty decent. And I will say yeah. this, though, as a sound engineer, I do wish that the sound mixing was a little better. That's one criticism I will levy against the movie is that the background music is usually way louder than the dialogue. And you can hear that in volume one, right? Volume one. Yeah, and, I know what you're well, yeah. And to a degree in volume two. You could hear I, I know what you mean. We were on Amazon Prime when you, you mentioned it. It was like, what the hell? Yeah. I'll criticize here because most of the, the camera work, I think, is great. But the one thing that kind of trips me out is that there's this, there's no, there's no other way to describe it than what seems like a low frame effect, like in a video game. That's definitely done intentionally. It's used for dramatic effect during the cliff scene where, you know, Tommy goes over the cliff and it just it feels it's very yeah. jarring. You know, it just kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah, it does. And, and it's just a little too much. And it's kind of like, I don't know, found footage as, as a genre. It's just it, when you try too hard, it's a it's a little it's a little overdone. So I'm not really sure what they were going for there. But other than that, I mean, I, I, I have no qualms with the way that the shots are executed. I, I also like the musical score, um, which apparently was done by Daniel Platzman of Imagine Dragons. Yeah, it was good. I mean, but like I said, it was just mixed too loud throughout the movie. But yeah, the soundtrack itself, it's got that kind of 
sometimes kind of a synth pop vibe, even kind of a synth wave thing going. I mean, kind of like Drive, yeah. right, Robert? Exactly like Drive. Only God forgives. Yeah, it definitely had that kind of Carpenter quality to it. Maybe not so much I, Carpenter, but I mean, definitely kind of an 80s dreamy synth wave sound. So like Tron or something. Yeah. What was that one you I showed? I mean, me? let's face it. It is no You Are My Rose, but I thought the soundtrack was pretty good. I, I Beyond enjoyed the it. Black Rainbow. Remember oh, that? The yeah, Beyond the Black shit? Rainbow. Exactly. That yeah. music in there? God damn. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's another movie with similar music. The uh, end credits theme on volume one, I also uh, reminded me of, of like the old school, like Goosebumps intro for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a, a little bit. I mean, I would even say maybe Are You Afraid of the Darks ending theme a little bit. Okay. But yeah, maybe Goosebumps is a little more like it. But yeah, Best Friends Volume 1 was uh, released on March 2018. Volume 2 was released uh, just a month after, and or not a month after, a few months after in June. Um, originally was premiered at the Prince Charles Cinema in September of 2017. The screening was the same month, uh, like I said before, at the Egyptian Theater during Beyond Fest. It did get generally mixed reviews. I think, uh, like I said before, primarily this appeals to fans of the room, but uh, the use of so has been particularly praised. Yeah, especially with YouTube reviewers like... I mean, we, we haven't really touched on the Nostalgia Critic episode, which was actually pretty decent and had Greg Sestero doing his Tommy Wiseau impression, which is very yeah, notable. Yeah, was great. Yeah, that's actually Tommy's favorite impression of him is by Greg. I mean, Franco does a good job as Tommy, but I think Greg's is the best impression. But I did love the Nostalgia Critic review as well. I, I watched that in preparation for this podcast. And what's funny is I wasn't even aware it was Greg when I was watching it, um, I just saw someone who was doing a pretty good impression of Tommy Wiseau, who wasn't Tommy. And I was like, who's this guy? And then at the end, I'm like, oh, it was Greg. Okay. Yeah, it was Greg the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> and Rick shows up. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the best shit, honestly. Fucking Rick. Fuck yeah, fucking, fucking Rick stand in. Hell yeah. Oh yeah, he, he also did a cameo on that episode as well, which was really cool. But um, yeah, volume one did uh, currently has a 42% on Rotten Tomatoes. Volume one specifically received a few accolades. Uh, one most buzzworthy film at the Gasparilla International Film Festival in Tampa, 2018. And best cinematography at the Mayday Film Festival in Evansville, Indiana in 2018. I would say it's deserving of some accolades. I mean, it, it was definitely something that was really different and very unique and Maybe it has some appeal beyond Room fans, but it's mainly the Room and Disaster Artist fans that will get something out of this. I definitely agree. What, what do you think, Robert, just overall? I think it should be nominated for Sundance. <laughs> Probably a little late for that, but... Yeah, it's a little late now, but should have been. Yeah. Get that bitch in the can, damn it. <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it was worth something. There's definitely um, a lot of value here. And then there's some substance to it as well. And again, seeing Tommy in a role where he's actually, uh, you know, properly utilized as an actor, seeing Greg 
um, give out a, a better performance, um, seeing their chemistry on screen 15 years later, you know, still very present, very there. You can tell they're still friends in real life and have been, I guess we'll kind of wrap it up here, but what are y- y'all's final thoughts on best friends volume one and volume two? We'll go ahead and start with Robert. I've already seen both of them twice already. So, I, you know, I don't mind going back and watching both of them again. I mean, it, it's like anything else I would binge off of Netflix, mostly the Breaking Bad series. And uh, what else? I mean, God, it does have that Twin Peaks vibe, doesn't it? It totally yeah. has the Twin Peaks vibe. Yeah, Crap. I mean, th- there's some interesting characters throughout, you know, some who we didn't touch upon here. But I mean, I mean, we, we, we'll go ahead and let them slide, you know, like the bed and breakfast guy, you know. So- so, <laughs> so overall, yeah, I would recommend binging Volume 1 and Volume 2 back and forth as much as you can to get sick of it. Yeah. And then when you get sick of it, go ahead and put on Disaster Artist again. Yeah. Disaster Artist is always very watchable. And that I guess I'll go ahead and go into my final thoughts. I mean, like I said before, this is the third in a trilogy of Tommy Wiseau and Greg Sestero movies. So... We'll call it the Wistero Trilogy. How about that? <laughs> yeah, it's perfect name. We'll call it the Wistero Trilogy. The Room, The Disaster like Artist, and Best Friends. And I like the cinematography. I mean, I wish that the sound mixing was a little better. But, I mean, the, the script is uh, very interesting and tells an interesting allegory about their relationship throughout the years. And I think that it's interesting that they split it into two movies. It's kind of made it a pain in the ass to do this episode but you know but i mean i kind of get it you know and i do want to see what what wasn't put in this movie i mean i'm sure there's some characters there that probably didn't make it into the movie i mean i don't know but tommy and greg are awesome here and i i I do like the actual story but all in all it's a decent movie or a decent couple of movies so yeah my final thoughts on Best Friends, I, again, I do think it's actually a genuinely good movie. Uh, I am happy to see Tommy actually used to good effect here. I liked seeing him, you know, in a role that truly fits his personality. I do think that there is a lot of content in here for fans of The Room. So if you're a fan of The Room or The Disaster Artist, you should definitely check this out. Uh, I kind of watched both movies back to back. I started with part one, had to, I kind of cut it off right before the end. And then I watched the end of volume one immediately followed by volume two. So I think either way, you know, with that gap in between, like they were originally uh, when they were released, it's interesting because you kind of get that cliffhanger, but back to back, it, it's kind of like binge watching something. You can kind of watch this whole experience, and I had a lot of fun with it. I definitely think this is a movie um, that I'll watch again. I mean, I've, I've seen it a few times as it is, or, or both the movies, and I uh, I definitely think that, like, uh, I, I think we need to do a movie commentary on The Disaster Artist because we haven't done that yet, and we need to do a movie commentary on this for sure. Oh yeah, definitely. We we'll definitely be getting to that in in the between interim. season time, the interim time. Yeah, but yeah, that that's what I have to say about it. I guess you know we'll also kind of finish up with celebrating a good season, a good season three. We'll talk a little bit more about season four. What was y'all's favorite episode this season? Oh, it was uh, Visitor Q for me because that's the episode that broke Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we it is kind the episode that broke Dakota. Yeah, we, we kind of broke Dakota a little bit. Yeah. 
How about you, Robert? They're going in 60 seconds episodes, I guess. The two-part, or uh, Nicolas Cage and the old 1970 version, right? Yeah, the H.B. Pedalecki. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, thought that, I thought both of those were awesome in their own ways. <laughs> in, in different ways, especially with Visitor Q. I, I'm, it's hard to say what was my favorite here. As an anime fan, I was super excited to talk about Acura. I loved being exposed to Perfect Blue, which is a thought provoker. My suggestions this season were Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, uh, The Shining, The Fifth Element, and, and this, Best Friends. And I enjoyed all of those movies this season as well. I liked our 420 special on Up in Smoke. Finally got into Cheech and Chong. I'm glad we finally tackled Joker. That's been a long time coming. Oh, yeah. That, that was uh, actually a way better movie than I thought it would be. Yeah, and we did the Buttercream Gang. The Buttercream Gang. Buttercreamers for life, right, Robert? Every day. Every day, yeah, because it's all about having fun, right? Buttercreaming, not helping Widow Jenkins. Yeah, yeah. fuck the Widow Jenkins. Just let her sit there. <laughs> fuck yeah. the Widow Jenkins. Buttercreaming, it, it's not just about helping people or whatever. It's about having fun. It's about getting treats and getting shoelaces, going swimming. <laughs> what a story, Robert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a great one. It's interesting to see how far we've come. I mean, at the beginning of the season, we start, we opened up with David Ayer's Suicide Squad. He kind of had a collateral cinema civil war there. Yeah, that was contentious, I would say. <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what have we got to expect from season four, Bo? Well, we'll go ahead and uh, announce the, uh, the the first episode, at least. And I think the Halloween episode, the first episode is going to be one of Neil Breen's finest works, Fateful Findings. It's going to be incredible, <laughs> guys. It's the beginning of a new era of bad movies for collateral cinema. Oh, boy. So you heard it here, folks. Our uh, season premiere is going to be Neil Breen's Fateful Findings. And, and what of our Halloween special? That's going to be Night of the Living Dead, both George Romero's version and Tom Savini's version. Right, Robert? Yeah. Exactly. Kind of like what we did with God in 60 Seconds this season, right? Yeah, exactly. Two of them. We get two for one, right? right. That was good. I mean, we can't do the <laughs> Halloween Kills episodes, yeah, that was. Yeah, that was delayed, unfortunately. Unfortunately. It was. Know. That was our original plan for yeah. the Halloween special, but yeah. maybe we'll do it next season. I definitely have a lot to look forward to, and season four of Collateral Cinema, I'm super excited about it. Also excited about uh, Collateral Gaming plug my shit here a little bit but we just did our episode on spyro reignited trilogy something that we're going to be trying out next season that we did do with this particular video game is we split it up into two parts which is something we're going to be doing we're going to be uh recording monthly still but releasing the episodes on a bi-weekly basis so if you listen to collateral cinema and you also love video games check out collateral gaming we have some bonus round episodes coming out on uh, I want to do a video game recommendations episode. I want to do upcoming. I have a friend who's going to talk about Metroid Prime Trilogy with me. Our next numbered episode will be Action 52, followed by our season finale on Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag. That's right. The pirate one. The pirate one. <laughs> Hell yeah. But uh, you can find Collateral Gaming wherever you listen to Collateral Cinema. Uh, and I, I almost forgot one other thing that we had, uh, we did new this season of Collateral Cinema was Bo and Robert, y'all started the uh, Collateral Cinema Director's Cut, and that's been a hit. It sure has. I mean, we appreciate everyone who has listened to the Director's Cut. 
we might do one more episode after this before we take our break. And I mean, that's just our general, you know, topical movie podcast. You know, we do more reviews there than analysis and top five lists, series explorations and whatnot. And yeah, go, go listen to it. Check it out. Hell yeah. And I can say this without bias because I'm not a part of director's cut. That's Bill and Robert's spiel. Although I hope maybe at some point I might guest on one episode or or so. Yeah, certainly. But, uh, from an outsider's perspective, I, I think they're pretty good. I enjoy listening to those and I have a blast with those. And I'm excited to see what y'all, where y'all take that in season four. We kind of developed our analog to that on collateral gaming called bonus round, which I'm trying to catch up on. We're, we're kind of behind on those, but yeah, collateral cinema. Where can we find collateral cinema, Bo? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Patreon. Our tiers start at $1. And also we are on chill lover radio. We're on Apple podcast, Spotify, iHeartRadio. YouTube, Google Play, I believe, and wherever else you get your podcasts. We're pretty much everywhere. Pandora's in the works. We're, we're working on getting yes, on Pandora. Pandora's in the works. And also, also give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and on Podchaser. Yeah, and leave us some feedback. Hit us up in the DMs. Uh, contact us directly. We all have our own social media profiles as well. So you feel free to add me on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Um, and, and we're pretty, uh, we're pretty active on all of the social media channels on our podcast channel. Uh, once again, I do want to thank all of our fans, uh, our, our listeners, our fellow podcasters for supporting us. Uh, we've definitely had a very successful season of collateral cinema this year, and it's in no small part, thanks to y'all. So please. And thank you. I mean, just thank you so much for, uh, for listening, for leaving your thoughts. And, and for being a part of, of this whole venture, we couldn't do it without you. Seriously, we love you all and we appreciate you all. And next season will be the best season of collateral cinema ever, I think. In spite of everything going on in the <laughs> world, it's going to be badass. And y'all stay safe. I mean, we've got a pandemic going on right now. Please um, stay at home as much as you can. Obviously, we've got to work. We've got other shit to do. But if you do go out, wear a mask. I mean, I don't want to get political, but I don't this, I don't think this is political. Just, you know, it doesn't matter whether the government's forcing you to or not. Just just do it at a common courtesy. You know what I mean? But yeah, uh, other, otherwise, I mean, yeah, be safe, everyone, please. Um, well, all we've got is each other during this pandemic. And hey, we're doing our responsibility. We're providing content for you to listen to during quarantine. So that I feel, we feel like that's our, uh, it's our contribution to society. Yeah, what a contribution. <laughs> <laughs> Just a bunch of guys bullshitting. I mean, yeah, I mean, we right. might as well be playing Soggy Biscuit. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Well, let's go ahead oh. and wrap this season up, guys. How about it? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. We'll do it, Greg. We'll do it. And yeah. with all of that, I'm Bo Maddox. I'm Robert Oregon. I'm Ashley Chancellor. I and did not hit her. It's not true. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did, I did not. not. I did not. Well, bye, audience. Bye, audience. See you in season four, October. Bye. Out. Audi.
Cinema is an L Company production. All music and movie clips are owned by the respective creators and are used for educational purposes only. Please don't sue us. We're poor.